So are you expecting good things tonight? Well, go with me in your Bible, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, to chapter 1. And we are going to continue into our series that we've been in for some time now called Healing is the Will of God. And we have been looking at and answering questions about healing as well as finding reason after reason after reason from Scripture on why we believe that healing is the will of God. Now, here's something I want you to take a hold of tonight before we get any further into this series is don't think that just because we're in a healing series, that's the only thing we're covering. Because all through this series, if you're paying attention, there are great foundational keys in our faith that is being covered in this, ceiling, in this series of, of healing. Just because we're talking about healing, you can take these things and apply them to all across your life, right? And I, I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I would like to, you know, it's the last service of the year and, and, and next weekend's the first service of 2021 and maybe there's something, you know, special that you would like to minister and teach us and, and the Lord said, yeah, healing. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And then as I got into studying, I was looking at um, what we're going to look at tonight, and I realized that there's nothing that could be more important for us to grab a hold of at this time and in this season that we're in. At the end of a wild year, like probably the wildest year we've ever experienced, right? And going into a new year, and so we have been given something, and that's what we're going to look at tonight, and it applies to more than just healing. It applies all across the board in your Christian life. So we're also going to be mentioning healing quite a bit in it. So we looked at a number of reasons on why we believe that healing is the will of God, and we looked at 17 of them so far. Let's read our text before I get into those reasons. Uh, Mark chapter 1 and verse 40. Then a man that had leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. So we have said again and again how Jesus was the exact expression of God's will in the earth. What God's will was is what Jesus did in the earth. And no one that ever came to Him for healing was ever turned away. There was not one single time where someone came to Jesus, asked for healing, and He said, not this time. Or wait a while. Not once. So that reveals to us the will of God, and this is the question we've been answering because a lot of people aren't sure that it's God's will to heal them or their relative. They know God is able to, but they're just not sure He he wants to heal them. Maybe it's not His will. So we've looked at 17 reasons so far. The first reason that we looked at was because God's Word is medicine. God's Word will heal you. And if He didn't want you to, if His will wasn't that you should be healed, then He shouldn't have given us something that would heal us. His Word, right? His Word heals you. Reason number two, a strong spirit will sustain you. Well, like I said a little bit ago, these things, these reasons we've been looking at are for more than just healing. What else will God's Word do for you? It'll set you free. It'll deliver you. It does. Jesus is the Word, right? 
So God's word brings us is medicine. Well, God's word is many things to us. How about a strong spirit? Will a strong spirit help you in other areas of your life other than just healing? Yeah, absolutely. Then we looked at reason number three on why we believe that it's God's will to heal everyone is we looked at God's original creation. And then reason number four, we looked at God's will in heaven. Is there any sickness there? No, well, we're told to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if there's no sickness in heaven and we're told to pray it, that it be his will here on the earth, then we're, we can clearly see that in the original creation there was no sickness or disease. In heaven there's no sickness or disease. So that must be God's will. We looked at reason number five, the origin of sickness, which came all the way back at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. We see in the Word again and again that sickness is a work of the devil. We looked at God's eternal names, and the one name in particular is Jehovah Rapha, and it means, yes, the Lord who heals you. The Lord who heals you. Now, it'd be really odd for him to give himself that name if he didn't intend to do that for you. Reason number eight was because of God's covenant of healing. A covenant. Covenants, he, he watches over his covenants. He doesn't let him just pass away. He's faithful to his covenant. Reason number nine, sickness is part of the curse of the law. And we see that in Galatians 3.13, we see reason number 10 is Jesus Christ redeemed us from that curse of the law. Reason number 11 was we believe that healing is the will of God because of Job. And we looked at that, and if, if you, that sounds strange to you, if you're new with us here, that might sound, well, what do you mean because of Job? I thought that would be a reason why it wouldn't be his will for healing. Go back and listen to the sermon. They're all on our website. You can find them. They're free of charge, and um, it'll probably be a sermon unlike any you've heard on Job, and it'll change your whole perspective of that story. Reason number 12 is because of the Old Covenant types of redemption. There was many, many types in the Old Covenant that pointed forward to Jesus Christ and they spoke of redemption. And reason number 13 was because of redemption that Jesus provided for us at the cross that by His wounds we are healed. And then last week we looked at reason number 14, the resurrection. The resurrection. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said, we always carry around in our body the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of the Lord Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Not spirit, body. That's His physical flesh and bone body. And when God the Father gave His Spirit, Jesus, as a down payment and it brings life into your physical flesh and bone body, that is the first installment of what's coming, the resurrection, the whole deal, right? Healing is just a taste of resurrection. It's just a little bit of it. Reason number 15 is because God is a good father, isn't he, Karen? A good father. I, I really like the story of what God did for her. I mean, that just made my night and week. I'm going to be telling all our family this week when we see him about how good God is. He's a good father. Well, a good father does good things, right? Else he'd be a bad father. If he, does, if he makes people sick and is killing people, well, then we'd call him a bad father. But that's not who he is and what he does. 
In fact, Jesus said this. He said, which one of you, if you had a son and he would ask for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? You know, none of us are going to do that, at least not if you have any love in your heart. You're not going to do that to your little one. Then Jesus made the statement, if you then, though you are evil, he's talking about, you know, these people were unborn again yet, and they did have a sinful nature. Even though out of that sinful nature, out of that evil, he's saying, even in spite of that, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father give good gifts to you? Good gifts, not bad gifts. Reason number 16, that we believe healing is the will of God for everyone, man, woman, and child. You can even believe it for your animals if you want. Maybe someone has a pet that is sick. Now, I've seen pets be healed by the miracle-working power of God. You know, faith will cover all kinds of, of issues that just would, are unattainable otherwise. Reason number 16 is because healing is the children's bread. Healing is the children's bread. And... Um, it's interesting that he didn't say it's the children's dessert. It's the rare, finest of treats that you find once every Christmas. No, it's the children's bread. It's the staple. It's the thing you should expect to be on the table every meal. It's, it's not extra. It's what's expected, right? Healing is the children's bread. That's what Jesus said. And if it's not so, he shouldn't have said it. Reason number 17, we are certain that healing is the will of God because of the mercy of God. He is the Father of mercies. Father of mercies. We are to come to the throne of grace where we find mercy and grace and help in our time of trouble. And the psalmist said it this way, he said, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy and truth. And we looked at a number of accounts in the, in the gospel stories of Jesus' ministry of people that came to Jesus and said, have mercy on me. And what they were meaning was because they had sickness or disease in their body or blindness. It was the blind guys that came and said, have mercy on us. And Jesus did have mercy on them. He was moved with compassion and he healed them. Not once when someone came to him and said, have mercy on me, did Jesus say, nah, you don't, you don't deserve it. You haven't lived holy enough. I know how you lived last week. No, come back next week. And if you behaved yourself, maybe we'll heal you then. But that's not how Jesus operated. Moved with compassion. His love never fails. And so as you come and ask for mercy, He will grant you mercy. So let's go over to Luke chapter 9 and now move further into reason number 18. And I was having a conversation with um, someone the other day and I was talking about how in this series I have been staying very, very basic, very foundational, very simple. And... The reason we cover so thoroughly each one of these reasons is because we have people sitting here that this may be the first time they've heard this. We have people here that have heard this for years and years and years and could probably preach it much, teach it much better than I'm teaching. However, then there's people here that are going, yeah, you know, it's the first time I really heard it that way. And so it's important that we be able to, for the, for the first time here, be able to take and eat something that is... is 
simple and easy to understand and take a hold of. And then also for those that are more seasoned and have, have known these truths for a long time, it refreshes you to just go back and, yeah, that really is a simple thing. And it's not difficult. And so, so many times we make things difficult, don't we? In Luke chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Summoning the twelve, Jesus gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Reason number 18, we are certain that healing is the will of God for everyone is because of authority over demons and sickness. Authority over every demon and every disease or sickness that exists. Look at this again in verse 1. So he gives them power. That's the word where we get our word dynamite from. It means it's the word dunamis in, in the Greek and it, it's power like dynamite. He gave them power and He gave them authority over all the demons. Well, if you, and power to heal diseases. Then He sent them to proclaim, they're, so they're going out preaching and healing, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Question, how are they going to do that exactly? They haven't ever healed anyone before. They're just mere human beings. How are they going to heal anyone? They're going to do it the exactly the same way that Jesus did it. Jesus did not go around healing people as God. That may sound strange to some of you. He didn't go around doing miracles and healing people as God. He did it as a man, as a human, in faith. He was a man of faith, wasn't he? In fact... Jesus made this statement to the disciples in John 14 and verse 12, I think it is, where he says that I assure you the one who believes in me will do the works that I do. He's talking about the miracles. In fact, he will even do greater things than these miracles. So if Jesus did them as God, the disciples are not God. So that wouldn't even be possible for for this statement that he just made to be true. If he did it as God, because they're not God. So he did it as a man, just like they are men, right? And so Jesus did it as a man who was anointed with power and authority by the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the same way that you and I and the disciples will all do it. You know, take note that Jesus' ministry, his teaching... Uh, The miracles that He did, the healings that He did, all of these things were as an example to us. There was a work He started that we are to continue. They were as examples to us. Not everything Jesus did was an example to us. Sometimes what He did was a substitute, took our place. We don't all get nailed up on the cross. We don't carry those sins. He did that for us. He was our substitute. He went and suffered and died for us so that we don't have to do that. So in those things, he's not an example. But in the works he did, in the ministry, in his teachings, in his doctrines, in in his actions, in that way, the healings, the miracles, those were all examples to us. Let's go over, in fact, let's just read it, John 14, I, I quoted part of it to you. John 14, and let's maybe begin in about verse 12. 
I know, let's go to 10, verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That's a question to them. The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. So whose works are they? The Father's works. He in me does His works. Then he makes this statement, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe me because of the works themselves, because of the miracles. Let them speak for me, he's saying. And then in, in verse 12, I assure you, I assure you, the one who believes in me. Now, is this only to the disciples? Yeah, he's speaking to the disciples, but he didn't say to the disciple who believes in me. Or to the apostles that believe in me. He said to anyone who believes in me. And he started it with saying, I, I, I assure you. Or as some translations, verily, verily, I tell you. He is bolstering this outlandish statement that they're going, what? We got bigger things than you, you, you misspoke, didn't you, Lord? Right? He's saying, I assure you. Anyone, someone say, that's me. that's me. Anyone who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Anyone who believes. And listen, it's not by faith. He didn't say anyone who feels a special power and authority will do the works that I do. He didn't say that. He didn't say anyone who feels really confident in his standing with the Lord. Anyone who's confident they've lived a righteous and holy life. But see, religion puts all those things in there. He doesn't say that. He said the one who believes. The one who believes. So it's by faith and not by feeling. By faith. You choose to believe it and accept it and say it is so. So what was reason number 18 again? And why we're certain that healing is the will of God for everyone is because of the authority over Demons and sickness. Don't, don't lose that. Don't lose sight of that. We're going to just keep coming back on that in the whole sermon. Let's go back to uh, Luke 9, where, where we had been, I believe. And now let's read it again. Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal disease. Here it says power and authority. You understand there's a difference between the two. If you're reading in a King James Bible, um, sometimes it uses the word power instead of authority, and it is the word authority, and then sometimes they use the word power as in dynamite power, right? So you kind of have to look. A lot of the modern translations will will use them correctly, and you'll see that it, it differentiates between power and authority. And he says here, he says, he gave them power and authority over the demons. An example of having power but no authority would be, let's just pretend for a moment that you have a D10 cat dozer. What is that? It's a huge dozer, okay? A bulldozer. And you decide, do you have some power? Question, do you have power? Yeah, you've got all kinds of power. You can push trees down, drive over cars, drive through the neighbor's house you don't like, right? you got all kinds of power. Now, do you have the authority to drive through the neighbor's house? No, you do not. In fact, you use the power that you have wrongfully and those with authority will show up and have conversations with you, right? So there's the difference between power and authority. You have power to do something, but no authority to do it. But if you have the power and authority, 
right? In, in days past, I ran a dozer. I ran a lot of that heavy equipment. My father-in-law was a dealer in heavy equipment, right? And so we would go out when we had the authority and push down clear land, build ponds, build dams, whatever it was. And we had not only the power, we also had the authority to move all that dirt around or knock those buildings down. Now look here in verse 1 again. He gave them power and authority over just the weakest demons. Nope. All demons. That means the little ones, the big ones. The weak ones, the strong ones. All of them gave authority over all demons. Now let's go over to Matthew 10. Matthew 10 and verse 1. This is the same account. Actually, let's back up to Matthew 9, and let's bring a little bit of context into what's going on here. So what had just happened was the blind guys were saying, have mercy on us, heal us. So he heals them. Let's begin reading in verse 35 of of chapter 9. Then Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. It's fascinating that often in Scripture when it talks about proclaiming, preaching the good news, what's added right on to the end of that is and healing. The preaching of the gospel should be accompanied with healing because He did it for us. Just like the preaching of the gospel should be accompanied with forgiveness of sins. Right? It makes a difference in someone's life. So here he preaches the gospel and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. So because he's moved with compassion and he realizes the harvest is much too big for one person now. So I need help. I need helpers in this work of the kingdom. And so he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, how many think that they obeyed the Lord and prayed? What he told them to pray? Pray and ask for workers. Well, the Lord answered their prayer immediately in the next verse, chapter 10, 1. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out. That word drive means to eject them. To eject them. And to heal every disease and sickness. Notice in the other account on this same, of the same account in Luke's gospel, it says all demons. Well, in Matthew's account, it says all sickness, every sickness, every disease. So we can say that he has given them authority and power over every demon, over every sickness, over every disease. There's not one left out. I don't care if it's incurable. I don't care if it's the biggest devil in the whole country. It's not left out from this equation. It's included. Every disease and every sickness. If you jump down to verse 7, he says, As you go, announce this. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those with skin diseases. Drive out demons. You have received free of charge. Give free of charge. This is how folks would know that the kingdom of God has come near them. It's because people were being healed. People were being raised from the dead. Demons were being thrown out. Leprosy was being cured. All these things were following the proclamation of the good news. Proclamation of the good news. And then he says, don't 
you know, give it freely. Do give it freely. Don't withhold it. Don't withhold it. When you're going out, you're in the marketplace, you're at your place of work, you're at your family's house, you're wherever you are. Don't withhold what God has given you authority over. I mean, how many times have we decided for somebody that, no, that, that they wouldn't receive it. They won't accept it if I pray for them. We just made the decision for them. We're the doubter, not them, right? So we have to be bold and say, you know, I've been given the authority. I've been given power over sickness and disease and over all these devils. And we're going to act like it. Verse 12, just, just to continue in this point. Verse 12, he says, greet a household when you enter it, and if the household is worthy, let you, your peace be on it. Your peace. He didn't say my peace. Your peace. See, earlier Jesus said, my peace I give to you. So now they have it. So give them your peace, and what, is, what does he say? If it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. This is the sort of thing that we rarely hear today. You know, when I pray for people, maybe you've even heard me pray this way, I will say it very specifically. I usually don't say, I sometimes do, but usually I'm not saying uh, the peace of Jesus be on you. I say, I give you peace. Freely I've received, freely I'm going to give. I give you peace. It's my peace. Because I've taken ownership of what he's given me, which was his peace. You know, oh, if the church would only be aware. Much of the church world is not aware of this authority, of the effect that we can have in the earth, even on issues of peace. You walk into a situation and your peace can just, boom, change the atmosphere and take over the room. Someone say, he has given me power and authority over all sickness and disease and over every devil. I believe it. Let's go to Luke 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. Um, actually, let me give you a little bit of context. So he had just been in a church service, and he says, he finds the place in the scroll of Isaiah where it says, I've been anointed, and he gives this whole list of things, you know, to, to heal the brokenhearted, and he goes through this whole list of things, free the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, to bring the Lord's favor, to preach good news, all this. The Lord, the Spirit of God has anointed me to do this. And he preaches this message, and his message is so astounding, the people become enraged, and they take him out to the edge of a cliff to throw him down and get rid of him. Talk about having some real feedback on your sermon. Right? I mean, like tremendous feedback. Like the whole crowd it takes him out and wants to kill him over this sermon. So what does he do? Run away and hide and go, oh, maybe, Lord, I missed it? No. He goes to the next place and just keeps right on preaching truth. So, so from there, verse 31, he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because his word had authority. In the synagogue, see, in one of the other accounts, if we'd read it, it says that he taught with authority unlike the scribes, who apparently taught in a way that was without authority. Just like, we don't know, maybe this is how the Lord would do things, and, you know, if, if, maybe, 
Hopefully, we just don't know. We'll see how it works out. See, there's no authority in any of that. But he is teaching with authority. And in the synagogue, there, so in the middle of the service, there's a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice, Leave us alone! What do you have to do with us, Jesus Nazarene? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God! But Jesus rebuked him and said, Shut up and get out! Right? It says, Be quiet, come out of him. That's how you deal with devils. That's how you deal with them. Shut up. Come out. And throwing him down before them, the demon came out of him without hurting him at all. They were all struck with amazement and kept saying to one another, what is this message? For he commands the unclean spirits with authority and power, and they come out. It must have not been new for them to hear someone try to command the spirit, but it wasn't with authority and it wasn't with power, and they didn't come out. But now they're just blown away by this. And news about him began to go to every place in that vicinity. Remember, it's not in your own strength. It's not because you have a feeling of power, a feeling of authority. It's by faith. Verse 38, after he left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. It was a big fever. They asked him about her. So he gathered everyone together and said, everybody pray. Pray hard. Go get your neighbors. Get everyone praying. Is that what he did? Nope. So don't reverence devils in sickness. Stop reverencing them like they're something that is, ooh, scary disease. Ah, they have cancer. Cancer, incurable. said it's stage nine bad. Everybody pray. Pray hard. I mean, let's storm the gates of heaven. Are you hearing me? None of that is in authority. It's all revealing unbelief and doubt. That's not what he told us to do. Let's not reverence it. And why would I say that about storming the gates of heaven? You know, I never have to storm the door of my house. Do you know why? Because I belong there. It's my house. That door will open for me. So I have the keys. That's right. I've got the keys to the house. And so we don't storm, we don't bombard the gates of heaven. I've heard the craziest things. Let's bombard the gates of heaven. Come on, let's storm heaven's gates. And are you guys enemies that you have to come at him in battle? Why don't you just go on into the throne room and up to the throne and have a conversation with him and find the mercy and help that you need? The scripture promises it. Why are you outside banging on the door? All right, let's keep reading. So, so he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up immediately and began to serve them. When the sun was setting, all those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to him. As he laid hands on each one of them, he would heal them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. You know, we're not supposed to be ruled by demons. We're not supposed to be ruled by sickness and disease. That's not our lot. We are supposed to reign as kings in life. 
That's what Romans 5.17 tells us, to reign as kings in life. It does not say the afterlife. It says in life, that's right here, right now, reigning as kings. And how does a king reign? With his mouth. He gives orders and decrees and says how it's going to be, and his orders and decrees are carried out. God has a whole host of heavenly army, angels, that are listening for the Lord's word to come out of your mouth and to do the bidding of God the Father as it comes out of your mouth. And as you as a king reign in life and give out orders, they're listening. The angels in this room are listening. And they go right into action to serve the saints, is what the Word says. Those who will inherit salvation. That's what they do. They serve. In fact, Paul even said this. He said, don't you know that at some point you're going to judge the angels? Well, what are we going to be judging them on? I don't know. You tell me. Maybe how good they helped us. Reign as kings. You know, there's no sort of struggle taking place there. It's not a struggle. The devil's not the equal opposite of God. Like two equal powers. Like there's this, this um, picture that I've seen for years now of the devil and Jesus in an arm wrestling contest. And the picture angers me every time I see it. Because he's under his foot, not up on the table in an arm wrestling contest. Jesus is standing there victorious with his foot on top of him going, yeah. And so it's not an equal opposite. The devil, the day is coming, it says, where the kings of the earth are going to stand and they're going to look and say, is, this is the one that was terrifying the whole world? This? Because he's not what he's cracked up to be. He's not what he wants people to believe he is. It's terrifying. His whole medium of operation is fear. And if you'll just enter into fear, man, it just opens up all these doors for him to come in and do all these things. So we have to realize there's not a struggle. There's no match in powers. We've been given authority. It's ours. We don't yield to fear. And we just hit him straight between the eyes with the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 10. Let's jump over there. Now, what had happened was he had sent the twelve out to do what he had commissioned them to do, to proclaim the gospel, take authority, power over demons and sickness and disease. And this thing grew so much in, in between chapter 9 and 10 that at the beginning of chapter 10, he goes, we need more. The harvest is even bigger than these twelve can handle. So he sends out the 70 now. So now there is 82 people out there. And he gives them authority over these things. And then in verse 17 of chapter 10, it says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They seem shocked by it, but they're sure excited about it. They're really happy about it. And he said to them, this is Jesus' words, He said, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash. Look. I have given you, not I might give you someday off in the future once we all get to heaven. I have, that's past tense, I have given you, what has he given them? Authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. So these snakes and scorpions, that's metaphorical for demons and devils, right? Because that's what they were talking about. Even the demons submit to us. He goes, yeah. I've given you authority to demand stomp on these devils, on these snakes, on these scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, nothing will 
ever harm you. That is like my favorite Bible verse when I go traveling. Especially when I'm traveling for the sake of the gospel. I'm out here doing that. Nothing will ever harm me. And if you look at this, notice that it says, not just over the devils, but over all the power of the enemy. That means everything that is under their control and influence, everything those devils have control over, you have authority over that. There's nothing that's exempt from that authority as far as those spirits go. Now let's look at verse 20 because he says something really important. He says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why is this important? The, the, the authority and the power and the fact they listen to you is just a side benefit because the real deal is you're seated with me on a throne in heaven. That's the place of authority and the power. That's the place where all of this comes from is because of your standing or seated with me. In fact, Ephesians just says it this way. Just listen to these, these words. He says, He demonstrated this power in the Messiah, that'd be Jesus, by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavens. So God raised Jesus from the dead, seats Him at His right hand. Far above every ruler and authority. So there's no ruler, no authority. Every power and dominion. So there's no power and dominion left out. No ruler and authority left out. And every title given. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father with all authority over every ruler, over every power, over anything that exists. Every name that is named. He has authority over it. And power. Now at this time in this age and the one to come. Check this out. And He put everything under His feet under Jesus' feet, and appointed Him as head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now, Christmas Eve, if you were here with us, I read to you from, or quoted to you out of Hebrews 10, maybe about verse 10, 11, or 12, one of those. How that Jesus, all things have been given to Him, but that He now sits in heaven waiting for His enemies to be made His footstool. And how that you and I, that's our job in the earth today, is to put enemies of Christ under His feet. And when you take authority and establish authority over an enemy, that's putting that enemy under the feet of Jesus, building Him a footstool. Alright? So he's, up, he's there. He put everything under His feet, so all things belong there. Which is His body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Now listen, a few verses later, he says this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, remember that? He's the father of mercies. Rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up. Someone say, that's me. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Where are we seated? With Him at the right hand of God. It's from that place of authority because your name's written in the book of life is why there's authority and power and devils and demons and disease must submit to you because it's coming to those things from the throne itself. 
And he did it for this reason, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is such good news. Made us alive with Christ. Alive with Christ. You know, the word says that he, he, it was by the arm of the Lord that he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus made the statement, when I drive out demons, it's by the finger of God. Just the finger. Just say the word, flick, they're gone. But when he raised Jesus from the dead, it was God putting on display his strength. And it was by his arm. He flexed that arm, raised Jesus up out of the grave. And why, was his, why is it so hard to raise someone from the dead? Well, it's not. I mean, look at Lazarus and all these other people that were raised from the dead. The reason it was such a display of strength, because it wasn't just Jesus he was raising from the dead, man. It was the whole world. It was you and I, anyone who has ever named the name of Jesus, all those people being raised from the dead. Their resurrection is what happened. Because it's in Christ that we were raised with him is what the word says. And so we are seated with him in heavenly realms and we're just not going to put up with this foolishness from the devil. I want to read to you um, out of a book that has blessed me. In fact, uh, it's in this, these accounts. I'm going to read two accounts to you um, from Kenneth Hagin. He, he has many books out, but this particular book is called I Believe in Visions. You can also find these stories in... Uh, the authority of the church? Authority of the believer, yes. Authority of the believer. You can find these stories in there. In fact, we went through that one not so long ago in uh, our home groups. But listen to this story and what took place. Now, just prior, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump right into the middle of the story. And he is having a vision and he's having a conversation with Jesus. Kenneth Hagin is. And Jesus is giving him instructions. And he says here, while Jesus was talking to me, an evil spirit that looked like a monkey ran between Jesus and me and spread out something that looked like a black cloud or smoke screen. I couldn't see Jesus anymore. Then the demon began to jump up and down, waving his arms and legs and yelling in a shrill voice, yakety yak yak, yakety yak yak. I paused for a moment. I could hear the voice of Jesus as he continued to talk to me, but I could not understand the words he was saying. I thought to myself, doesn't the Lord know I'm missing what he's saying? I need to get that. It's important, but I'm missing it. I wondered why Jesus didn't command the evil spirit to stop talking. I waited for a few more moments. Jesus continued talking as if he didn't even know the evil spirit was present. I wondered why the Lord didn't cast him out, but he didn't. Finally, in desperation, I pointed my finger at the evil spirit and said, I command you to be quiet in the name of Jesus Christ. He stopped immediately and fell to the floor. Then the black smoke screen disappeared and I could see Jesus once again. The spirit lay on the floor whimpering and whining like a whipped pup. I said, not only must you be quiet, but get up and get out of here. And he got up and ran away. I was still wondering why Jesus had not stopped this evil spirit from interfering. And of course, Jesus knew what I was thinking. He said, if you hadn't done something about that, I couldn't have. Lord, I know I misunderstood you. You said you couldn't do anything about it, but you really meant that you wouldn't. No, he said, if you hadn't done something about that spirit, I couldn't have. But Lord, you can do anything. 
To say you couldn't is different from anything I've ever heard preached or preached myself. That really upends my theology. Sometimes your theology needs upending, the Lord answered. I said, Lord, even though I'm seeing you with my own eyes, even though I hear your voice speaking to me as plainly as any voice I've ever heard, I cannot accept that unless you prove it to me by the word of God. For the word says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I will not accept any vision. I will not accept any revelation if it cannot be proved by the Bible. This is good. Everything must be confirmed by the Word of God. If you can't confirm it by the Word of God, then you're off somewhere where you ought not be. Instead of becoming angry with me for saying this, Jesus smiled sweetly and said, I will give you not just two or three witnesses, I will give you four witnesses. I said, I've read through the New Testament 150 times and many portions of it more than that. If that's in there, I don't know about it. Son, there's a lot in there you don't know. The Lord pointed out, there's not a single place in the New Testament where believers are ever told to pray against the devil and I will do anything about him. There's not one instance in any of the epistles written to the churches that said to tell God to rebuke the devil or do something about the devil. To pray that God the Father or I the Lord Jesus Christ would rebuke the devil or do anything about the devil is a waste of time. God has done all he's going to do about the devil for the time being until the angel comes down from heaven and takes the chain and binds him and puts him into the bottomless pit. Every writer of the New Testament in writing to the church always told the believer, everyone say the believer, believer. say that's me. me. He always told the believer to do something about the devil. The believer has to have authority over the devil or the Bible wouldn't tell him to do something about the devil. The Lord's not going to tell us to do something we are not able to do. So he quotes to Kenneth Hagin what he said back in Matthew 28 at the Great Commission. He says, all power and authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. All authority was given to him, right? All right, so he says, he goes on, he says, you might, or, or, um, you might say, But you could have done something about that evil spirit because this scripture says you have all power and authority in heaven and in earth. However, I have delegated my authority on the earth to the church. And he quotes himself again out of Mark 16, the Great Commission. He says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now let's just take a a moment here. Who does it say is going to do these things? Anyone who believes. Not just disciples. He said, you go and preach and to those who believe. That's anyone who believes. All right, let's keep going. 
One of the first signs mentioned that will follow believers is that they should cast out devils. That means that in my name they will exercise authority over the devil. I delegated my authority over the devil to the church, and I can work only through the church, for I am the head of the church. In writing to believers, James said, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James didn't say to get God to resist the devil for you. He said, you resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Not from God, from you. We have to resist. We can't just lay down and just accept it because you will have exactly what just comes in the open door. But you have to fight against it. You have to resist it. You have to refuse to accept it. Here, um, just a quick testimony. Several weeks back, maybe a month ago, I was, I was preaching just like tonight and about half, on healing. And about halfway through the sermon, I began to feel like sickness was just coming on me. And I've, I've lived long enough, 40 years now, to understand what my body feels like when a sickness suddenly comes on it. And this was a suddenly... And as I'm speaking, and, and I'm about halfway through the sermon, I begin to feel this, and I begin to chill, and I can f- tell that my, my temperature is soaring, I'm having a cold sweat, and I'm just chilled to my bone. And it just continually gets worse and worse until I get to the end of the sermon. And I decided um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish the sermon out, and then they're going to have worship like what we do at the end. And I'm going to go to the green room, and I'm going to deal with this. And I, I need to get warm, because I was... I was feeling really, really, really cold. And so sermon ends, and from the time I made it from here to that door over there, it was like it got four times worse. See, if you yield just a little bit to the devil, man, he'll just, boom, he'll come right in and just take up all the room you give him. And it's not normal for me to walk off to this room at the end of the sermon. So just that little act even was, he thought, me yielding to it. He didn't realize I was going in there to load my gun and face him down, right? But he thought, I'm yielding to it. And so from here to the door, man, it got about four times worse. I got into the room back there, and I just started shaking almost uncontrollably. I was just so cold. And I decided I'm going to go into the bathroom in there because the, there's a vent in the bathroom that usually the, the, the bathroom is really hot, right? And I'll go in there where it's warm. You know, and I'm shaking so hard I can hardly open up the door to get in there. And I get into the room and I start rebuking this thing and resisting it. I'm not going to accept this. I said, you sickness, get off of me. I won't have you in the name of Jesus Christ. Leave me be. I won't accept it. You absolutely have no place in my body. I am the healed of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has made me a child of His. By His wounds, I am the healed of the Lord. And just like that, about three quarter of it is gone. Which told me something, it was a spiritually driven thing that was coming on to me. Now my body had to make up a little bit of time, because it had started to come under this, this spirit influencing it. And so I thanked the Lord again for my healing. I reached out in faith and lay hold of what He said was mine, believed it was mine, came back in here and joined the rest of you all in worship. You had made it through about one song at that point. By the end, time the songs were done... Every symptom was completely gone. It never came back. I was completely well. And I tell you that because we have to resist. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
But if I would have just come and said, honey, you know, we need, we need to go. I'm feeling really sick. Man, guess what? Who knows what I would have had? All right, resist the devil. You do it. You re- well, what's the part that comes right before that? Submit to God. Resist the devil. Because if you don't submit to him, the devil knows you're standing in your own strength now. It's not in God's strength. So that, that comes first. Kenneth writes here, he said, I looked up the word flee in the dictionary later and saw that one definition is to run from as in terror. So the devil will flee from you. He's afraid of you if you know your authority. As I read that, I remembered how the evil spirits and the vision had fled when I had rebuked them. And since then, I have seen them quake and quiver in fear as I exercised my God-given authority over them. They were not afraid of me, but rather of Jesus, whom I represent. Jesus continued, Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What are you going to do? Throw up your hands and say, I'm whipped? No, a thousand times no. We read in 1 Peter in the very next verse, it says, resist steadfast in the faith. Talking about that, that devil that's like a lion. Resist him. You couldn't resist the devil if you didn't have authority over him. But you do have authority over him, and that is why you can resist him. Paul said in his writings to the church at Ephesus, neither give place to the devil. This means you are not to give the devil any place in you. He cannot take any place unless you give him permission to do so. And you would have to have authority over him or this wouldn't be true. Then Jesus said to me, here are your four witnesses. I am the first, James is the second, Peter is the third, and Paul is the fourth. These are the four witnesses I told you I would give instead of just two or three. This establishes the fact that the believer has authority on the earth. For I have delegated my authority over the devil to you on the earth. If you don't do anything about rebuking the devil, then nothing will be done. And that is why many times nothing is done. Think about disease for a moment. Where does the energy come from that causes it to grow and expand? I mean, take cancer for example. Where's the energy coming from that's causing that thing to grow? It's not the life of God in it. So that leaves something else out. And since we operate in the life of God, there's something we can do about it. We have to take authority over it because we've been authorized and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, to look death and destruction and disease and demons right in the face and say, stop it! And mean it. When I was growing up, we had um, a dog and, and she was a a, a purebred Australian Shepherd, German Shepherd, Border Collie, Labrador Retriever. <laughs> Some would call him a mutt, right? And, but she was a good dog, and, and we gave her, I don't know why we gave her such a silly name, but we called her Tipsy. And so we got her, I was maybe oh, six, seven years old, and we lived right across the road from the school, and so Sometimes she would want to follow me to school. Or sometimes because we'd be out having recess right across the road, we just, it was a dirt road between our house and the school, um, she would see me out there and want to come over. And 
well, it was fun to see my dog, and she's all happy to see me. And so I'd pet her, and, and okay, now go back home, go back home. And of course, she doesn't. She's just sitting there wagging her tail, all happy to see me, right? Not going anywhere. Come on, go home. She wouldn't go home. It wouldn't be until I took authority and said, get, go home. Maybe even picked up a handful of rocks and she went home. I had to take the authority. Listen to me. I had to stop petting. Stop petting her and start taking my authority over her and show a little bit of aggression towards her and boom, she would run off back home. I remember even in later years, she knew better than doing that. She would never come up to me when I was away from the house because she knew she'd be in trouble. So instead, what I would see as I was in the older grades in school, I would see her running across the neighbor's field towards the wood, our neighbor's woods. And she wasn't supposed to be over there. She had plenty of woods and fields of ours to go play in. And so I would see her way off in the distance and I would yell at her, Tipsy! And she would be like, stop, look my direction. A dog can't see real far, right? But they can hear real well. Go home! Oh, boy, she'd turn around, tail between the leg, go back home, right? Exercising authority. That's what we're going to do over these devils. Read you another account. I know that we're going late and we're almost there. This is also in the same book, I believe, in Visions. And um, this is chapter 3 in the book, and it's called, If the Badge of Doubt. Now remember, we're, what, this is reason number 18. Beca- we believe in healing, that it's the will of God because of authority over demons and sickness and disease. He says, my second vision of Jesus occurred about a month after the first. I was conducting a revival meeting in the state of Oklahoma. I had told the congregation what the Lord had shown me about ministering to the sick and also about the anointing in my hands. See, in the first vision, the Lord Jesus had appeared to him and said that you're going, there's going to be anointing in your hands and you're going to lay hands on people. And if you feel what feels like fire jumping back from hand to hand, there's an evil spirit there that you need to deal with. So cast them out, tell them to go, and that spirit will go. Okay, so that was the previous vision. So one night, he says, while I was ministering to the sick, this is about a month after that had happened, a man in the healing line told me he had tuberculosis of the spine. He said he had been through three clinics and all the doctors had given him the same diagnosis. He was beyond medical help at that time. The man's spine was stiff as a board. In praying for him, I laid one hand on his chest and one hand on his back. When I did, the fire or anointing jumped from hand to hand, and I knew immediately that his body was oppressed by an evil spirit. I commanded the spirit, saying, You foul spirit that oppresses this man's body, I command you to come out of this body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's take a a break right here, because someone had a thought, and I want to address it. You know, back in Luke, where we read, in Luke 9... He says he gave them a power and authority over all demons and power to heal diseases. There were times that diseases were present because of evil spirits. But not all disease and sickness is the result of evil spirits being on that person. Okay? There is a distinction. He makes a distinction between both demons and disease. We know that Jesus cast out a spirit of infirmity from the woman and she was healed. But then the next person he would just say, be healed. He didn't cast the demon out. So it, it can be one or the other or both. 
So he commands the spirit, right, to come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I made a terrible mistake. I got into unbelief. It is easy to get into unbelief sometimes, no matter who we are, not even realize it. I said to the man, see if you can stoop over and bend your back. Try to touch your toes. The word if is the badge of doubt. When I said see if you can, that was doubt. God will put up with a certain amount of doubt in a young Christian who doesn't know any better, but when one is enlightened in God's word, the Lord won't let him get by with it. The man tried to bend over, but he couldn't. His back was as stiff as ever. I laid my hands on him again, one hand on his chest, one hand on his back, and I felt the fire jumping from hand to hand. Again, I commanded, you foul spirit that oppresses this man's body, I command you to come out of him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, I said to the man, see if you can stoop over, bend your back and touch your toes. His back was as immovable as before because I was acting in unbelief and didn't realize it. Then I said, well, we will try, which is unbelief too. The third time, I laid one hand on his chest and the other on his back. Again, I had the manifestation of the anointing in my hands. For the third time I said, you foul spirit that oppresses this man's body, I command you to come out of him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the man I said, now, see if you can stoop over, see if you can bend down. He couldn't, of course. I gave up and went on to pray for the next person. The man walked back down the aisle. I was standing on the platform about three feet to the right of the pulpit. As the next person stepped up to be prayed for, I looked over to my left And for some unknown reason, I saw Jesus standing there as plainly as any man I had ever seen in my life. I thought everybody saw him. But I learned later that no one in the congregation saw or heard him except me. The congregation heard what I said, but they didn't see or hear anyone else. Jesus was standing beside the pulpit. I could have reached out and touched him. He pointed his finger at me and said, I said that in my name the demon or demons will leave. Lord, I know you said that. It's been only a month since you appeared to me in Rockwell, Texas and told me to command the demon or demons to come out in your name. I told the demon to come out of that man, but he didn't. Again, Jesus pointed his finger at me and said, I said, in my name, call out the demons and they will leave the body. I know you said that, Lord, and I commanded the spirit to leave this man's body in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he didn't go. Jesus put his finger in my face and said for the third time, I said, in my name, the demons will go. Call them out in my name. They will leave the body in my name. Weakly, I replied, Lord, I know you said that. It happened just a month ago, and it's as fresh in my mind as if you said it last night. I know what you told me, and I did tell that demon to leave this man's body, but he didn't go. I think I know how Jesus looked when he drove the money changers out of the temple. As recorded in Mark chapter 11. Suddenly, it seemed as if his eyes shot fire. I could see flashes of lightning in them. And for the fourth time, he jabbed his finger at me and said emphatically, Yes, but I said demons will go! Then he disappeared. I realized then that I had acted in unbelief. We sometimes think that if we have a special gift or anointing to minister, it will always work. But that's not the case. No matter how much authority we might have, no matter how many special gifts we might have, or how much power we might possess, they all work by faith and faith only. When I realized I had exercised doubt instead of faith, I saw my mistake. I called man 
to come back to the platform. He was standing at the rear of the auditorium and hadn't gone back to his seat yet. I pointed to him and said, Come back up here, brother. He retraced his steps back up the aisle. I stood on the platform waiting for him to come around to the altar to where I was. The instant he stood before me, I slapped him on the back with my other hand on his chest and I said, Satan, I told you to leave this body. Out you go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then I said to the man, Now, my brother, I didn't put an if in this time. Stoop over and touch your toes. Instantly his back was limber. The tuberculosis of the spine was gone. The spine, which had been as stiff as a board, was healed. He could stoop over and touch his toes as well as any normal person. He was completely well. Because this man had come to our meeting from Arkansas, we didn't see him until two weeks later. He came back to be in the last Saturday night service. I asked him if he was still able to stoop over and touch his toes. Yes, I am still free, he said with a big smile lighting his face. He stepped out into the aisle, stooped over, touched the floor, went through several exercises to prove that he was still limber and free. This experience demonstrated to me once and for all the importance of following God's Word explicitly. God is no respecter of persons, and I learned that no matter who we are, if we move in unbelief, we will stop the flow of God's power. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close doing two things. I'm going to read a scripture to you out of Mark 16 and then we're going to together make some declarations. So you can stand with me if you want. Actually, just go ahead and stand with me whether you want to or not. (laughs) Mark 16, this is the Great Commission. I already read it to you. I'm going to read it again because there's something here I want you to catch. Then he said to them, this is after he's been resurrected, right? So now he's with his disciples. He's given them final instructions before his ascension. Go into all the world and preach the good news to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Do you believe? It says these signs will accompany those who believe. Not those who feel a certain way. Those who choose that I believe it, I believe it. Those who believe in my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. Remember those devils, scorpions, snakes. They will pick up snakes and if they should drink anything deadly, it will never harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. Not maybe. They will get well. This is what those who believe are going to do. Reason number 18 and why we are certain that it is God's will to heal everyone is because of the authority over every sickness, over every demon, over every disease that He has given to you and I. So we're gonna, I'm going to lead you in a declaration. And we're going to speak over our bodies a number of things. And any, any devil that's here has to get out tonight. It is over for them in your body. Any disease, any sickness that has been oppressing you, it is over for that sickness and disease tonight. We are going to speak to these things. So just speak, say after me, in the name of Jesus, the head of the church, you foul spirits, you unclean spirits, 
oppressing bodies, oppressing minds, spirit of death, spirit of infirmity, I command you, get, get out. I rebuke you. Leave the body. Leave my body. Leave my mind. I rebuke you. Go in the name of Jesus. Disease, cancer, AIDS, arthritis, asthma, allergies, heart problems, blood problems, blood sugar problems, stomach problems, liver problems, kidney problems, lung problems, intestine problems, immune system problems, muscle and ligament problems, bone problems, skin problems, autoimmune diseases, flus, viruses, every sickness, every disease, I rebuke you. You stop it. You stop now. Get out of my body. Leave my body. Be gone in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. We rejoice, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We thank you for the deliverance. We thank you, Lord, for your healing power right now in this room. That your healing power sleeps across this room. And everybody healed. Everybody restored. Every cell, every ligament, every muscle worships you and comes into alignment with your finished work in healing. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Come on, let's worship him. While we see pictures of babies in mangers at Christmas time, like we told you the other night, that's just, just the beginning of a much greater story. And everything that we just went through tonight is why he came in that manger. It's why we rejoice at this season and say, yes, our king came. So let's worship him in song and dancing and shouting. And just thank him for the deliverance. Praise God. The kingdom of God has come near. Amen. Well, we're going to do one more time these Christmas songs and recount what has taken place. We aren't going to storm the throne room, but we can rush in. Rush into the Father and say, I'm here for mercy. I'm actually one of those people that quoted that erected. So, <laughs> but uh, I knew in my heart what I was trying to say was boldly. Storming is a violent action. We don't, the doors are open. We can just boldly. Amen.
have a savior his name is Jesus we have a good father aren't you glad that you belong to the house of our God the father to his family in just a few days we're gonna say goodbye to 2020 and welcome to 2021. And let me tell you, no matter what 2021 brings our way, you have been given authority to rule and reign and to stand in victory over everything that the devil would bring. So let's go out, let's walk in victory, let's be confident, let's believe and have faith that the goodness of God will be shown in the land of the living. Well, one way we love God is by loving on one another. So as you go, we also have a time uh, downstairs. Everyone is invited to a time of finger foods, or maybe some of them are spoon foods. I don't know, but food, okay? Blessing. And um, as you go, don't forget in the back, on the, if you did not get a coffee cup already, pick one out and take it along home as a gift. Good evening. <laughs> Welcome to Church of the Word International. So glad that each and every one of you is here tonight. Do you know we serve an awesome God? A good, good Father that has your best at heart. Do you believe that? He really, really does. Even when you don't think he does, he's working behind the scenes on your behalf because you're his. And you belong to him. Oh, the angels. Do you know what the angels' message was? I was meditating on this this morning. The angels that came to the shepherds. Do you ever think about what their message was? Well, can I read this to you in Luke 2? And the angel said to the shepherds, which at that time was the lowest of the lowest people. The shepherds taking care of the stinky sheep. They just weren't valued much. And they, the angels, the host of angels came to them. Now think about that. When you feel like no one cares, no one loves you, think about that. The angels came to them and said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you. Now remember, this is a personal love letter to you, so always make it personal. I bring good tidings to me. I bring you great joy. Now he's saying this to the shepherds. I bring you good tidings and great joy, which shall be to all people. Say that includes me. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. It was already spelled out by God, by the angels, 
I'm bringing this day a savior to the human race, which is Christ the Lord. You don't have to wonder who that savior is. It's Jesus Christ. And this shall be a sign. Now, when you think of a sign, what do you think of? A rainbow. Wasn't a rainbow? God said, I'm giving you a sign in the, in the sky, a rainbow. I will never flood the earth again. Have you ever doubted that sign? And every time you look at a rainbow, don't you think about God's promise? Right? You never doubted it, did you? So here is a sign. The angel said, this shall be a sign unto you. God the Father is going to give you a sign. And you shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This was a sign from God the Father for the Savior of the world. We should never question it. And suddenly, there was angels, a multitude, and a heavenly host. That word host means an army. That means all the heavenly army of angels came in the heavens praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill toward man. That was the sign of the Father. He was sending a Savior, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, as a sign to all mankind, everyone, whosoever, and saying, I am sending my best, and it's going to bring peace to your heart and goodwill. And this Savior is going to redeem you from all the works of the devil. He's going to be born. He's going to live 33 years, die on a cross, shed his blood, take on your sins, your infirmity, your sickness, your disease, all on him, on him, on his body, that you could be free, be at peace, and have goodwill with the Father. Jesus said, my, I'm going to my Father and your Father. See, he included all the whosoevers that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be saved. Now the shepherds heard this for the first time. What would you think? Wow. Think about the shepherds just hearing and seeing all this. And they left with haste. And they went and found the inn where Mary and Joseph and the babe were lying in the manger. And this is what they did next. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. The first evangelists were the shepherds. They told everybody. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. And it was told unto them. They gave glory. They just believed. And that believing from their heart produced what? Worship and glorifying the Lord. They didn't have this book to read. They didn't have one another to encourage your faith and to stir you up. They just believed what they heard, the word of God, and it produced such a worshiping and a praising in their heart. Amen? Well, we have the advantage tonight to worship as a family together. And when we worship, we worship vertically, not horizontal. It's not about anybody here. It's about you and Jesus. So let's stand up together and let's worship and thank and glorify 
this beautiful Savior who obeyed his Father and came and died for each and every one of us. Amen. Don't you appreciate Karen? <laughs> oh, sets you up just great for this. I just want to say thank you to all of you for another great year. Looking forward to the next one. Did y'all have a Merry Christmas? Good, good. Let's worship together. Christ, Lord and Savior, King of Kings. We could go on and on of how much you mean to us, Jesus. But right now, we just take this moment to thank you for who you are and what you did for each of us individually in our hearts and our lives. We're so grateful, beyond grateful, the words we can't even come up with to tell you how much we love you and appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for all that you did for all these people here and for me. Thank you. Just thank Jesus. Thank, lift your hands up and just thank him. Thank him from the bottom of your heart. Thank him that you're saved, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that you're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. If you're here tonight and you're born again, truly born again, living a righteous life before your Lord and Savior, one day you're going to get a glorified body and live forever and ever, all eternity with your Lord and Savior, the one you're living for, the one you're loving, the one you're serving, all of eternity with him in heaven, in the very presence of God himself. What a beautiful thing to think about, especially this time of year, because Jesus was born to give you the best gift ever, your salvation. Turn to somebody and say, I am so glad that Jesus did that for me. How about you? Did you accept that gift? Are you saved? Ask, ask somebody next to you, are you born again? Is Jesus in your heart? Well, good evening again to you all. Did everybody have a good Merry Christmas with family and friends? Good to see people with us that we haven't seen in a long time. Good, good to have you back, Nicole. I just saw Nicole here in the crowd. So. Well, do we have any first-time guests with us this evening or anyone that's visiting? If you consider yourself a visitor, welcome. We're glad you're with us. We have one over here, too. Um, we have an information card. If you'd like to fill that out, you can, and just put it in the basket when it goes by. If you have any prayer requests, we'd be glad to agree with you in prayer. 
All right, well, we're going to prepare to return the tithe to the Lord this evening. And, yeah, let's get excited. (laughs) Um, I thought I had a direction, and then God changed it up on me. So, um, and I just lost my place, so bear with me here. Luke, chapter 6. You know, God is interested in profiting you. You believe that? He doesn't want you to be in lack. That's his heart for you. And I know this is a familiar scripture. But let's take it as if it was true. Really true. And it says here in verse 38, it says, Give, and it shall be given to you. Give, no, not once it's given to me, then I'll give. It's you give, and then it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Wait a minute, only if that's the measure you used. (laughs) Says, for with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. Now, why does he say it like that? He says, give and it will be given to you. Why didn't he just say, you know, you give and do without? You know, give, be in lack, because you know, that'll teach you something. That'll help you grow your character. Just he didn't. Why did he add in that? Because he wants you to profit. Verse. Let's go to. Um, well, I'll just mention it. First Corinthians thirteen, verse three says this: If I give away all I have, now I'm going here because the motive for giving matters. He cares about the heart you're doing it in. If I give away all I have, in other words, you're feeding. The poor with everything. You're given to, I mean, you've given away all you have. If I give my body to be burned, but if I don't have love, I profit nothing. I profit nothing. Now, the the poor or whoever you're helping out, they profited, but you didn't profit anything. He wants you to be increased. He wants you to be profited. So the motives for giving matters. God wants us to give in love. God wants us to give in love and in faith. And um, he's for you. He's so for you. And I want to talk or give Karen a chance to come up and share. You know, I don't say this because Karen's done everything perfectly. I think she'd be the first, <laughs> she'd be the first to say oh, where she's missed it. But from what many of us have seen and what I have experienced personally, Karen has been an example of this kind of giving, this kind of love. And it's the Father's love. You know, anything good in us is not in and of ourselves. If you see any virtue in me or Karen or any one of you uh, precious people here, if there's anything good in you, it's Jesus. It's because of him. All right? So we don't uh, call someone up to have them share and testify because they're so wonderful and so perfect and just, you know, got it all figured out. It's Jesus in them. And Karen has a Jesus story to share. She has a testimony of God's goodness towards her, wanting to, he wants to increase us. So Karen, do you want to come up and share? So I'll have her pray over the offering, too, then, once she's done sharing. And then tell the ushers to pass the basket. (laughs) Oh, does anyone need a cash envelope for your giving? (laughs) 
some, sometimes we forget things. So. Wow. All I can say is, wow. We serve a very good, good father. He wants to bless us way beyond anything we could ever hope or dream. And really, I truly mean that. There is a participation that he is looking for in our lives. Just because he wants to bless you beyond your wildest dreams doesn't mean you get blessed. There is a participation. He's looking for faith. He's looking for your righteousness. There are just things he's looking for. So um, I'm going to be all over the board for a few minutes because I, for the last three years, have had a prayer request into my father for a brand new vehicle debt free. And I, I really was specific with an SUV. I wanted a higher vehicle. Um, and, you know, you just ask, you write it down, and throughout the times you're getting your car, Father, thank you for, you know, this is what I did. I thanked him for the vehicle I had, and I took care of the vehicle I had. I really did take care of it to the best of my ability. So you, you be content with what you have and grateful for what you have. And that's just me. I don't know where anybody else, but that's every time I got in my car, I thanked the Lord. It was a good car, good running car, and it has been. And, uh, but a month ago, my brakes failed. And on the way home from church, I had no brakes. And I prayed in tongues the whole way. Found out that the, it was leaking braking fluid in the driveway, which I didn't know because I kind of had a pump at getting here. But I never dreamed that I would have no brakes going home. So the Lord got me home safe and sound, and I pulled in that driveway, screeched on the emergency brake, and sat there for a few minutes worshiping the Lord, thanking him that he got me home safe and sound, then had it triple-laid off the next day. Meanwhile, um, I'm just thankful. God's provide. You know, I've got a car that gets me here, there, and everywhere, and... and uh, Kevin and Kelly uh, got a car just a week ago, brand new SUV, not brand new, but darn, darn close to it. And they pulled in the driveway and they came in the house. I went outside, laid hands on that car, and I worshiped the Lord. And I thanked the Father for blessing my kids with this vehicle that they needed. And I was so grateful to the Lord that He did that for them. And I'm so happy for Him. I'm just happy, thrilled. Anyway, uh, today, uh, I'm sorry to be all over the place, but I want you to hold on to your prayers. When you ask God for something and you really mean it, write it down and don't forget about it. Just start thanking him for it. If it's something that you really need and it's according to the will of the Father, see, mine was I want it debt-free. I don't want a bill for a car. The Bible says to live debt-free. Don't be what you're a slave to what you own. So I've maintained a debt-free life most of my life. And that's important to me. And because it's important to me, it's important to him. So that's where my faith was. And for three years, that's what I stood on. So today, my daughter set up this um, Christmas day. And I knew nothing. I mean, whoop, over my head about everything. 
And I was just thrilled to go out for coffee. <laughs> That's where we started. And when we got there, my son, Scott, and his wife, Jamie, and my two grandkids from New Hampshire flew in that morning. And they came out behind the wall to surprise me. Well, Niagara Falls started with that one. So we're, we, you know, we stayed there for an hour fellowshipping and just had a great time. And then the next envelope I opened was taking us to another place, which happened to be uh, the only restaurant in Lancaster that holds 23 people. And that's the diner. <laughs> so that's where we, well, first of all, I'm sorry, I got to back up. We went to get gas and that's a whole story in itself. The story is great. But uh, she gave me, believe it or not, a lottery card. And she did it to keep me busy. She said, Mom, you've got to scrape this off before we leave, so hurry up. So I'm down here, do, you know, the rule follower, scraping this off. Meanwhile, I see her cleaning the windshield. I'm thinking, why is she cleaning the windshield? It's 23 degrees out. And all of a, I'm going down here, and I flip up my eyes, and here is my granddaughter from Georgia. And I look this way, my other granddaughter from Georgia. My son Patrick and Heather and four more grandkids flew in from Southwest at 4 o'clock this morning. Didn't know any of this. So another Niagara Falls at the gas station. So now we're going to the diner. We're all eating together. We come outside to get pictures by the big tree. And I'm in with the grandkids. And all of them are saying, look over here, look over here. And I'm, I'm obedient. I'm looking over here. <laughs> Meanwhile, someone's driving a brand new 2021 Tuscan. Hyundai with a great big red bow on the hood. My kids all came together and bought me a brand new car, debt free. Now, I'm just, I'm going to say, my father gave me that car. It came through the hearts of love of my kids for their mom. But my father blessed me was something that I had asked three years ago and just stood to believe it was on its way. And in doing that, remain grateful for what you do have and take care of what he has given you because the better and the best is always in front of you. Amen. I give him all the glory and all the praise. He is just the best dad any of us could ever, ever have. Amen. Amen. Oh, I'm going to pray. Well, Father, after that story, I hope it's built everyone's faith to believe you, Father, for the best of what they need, no matter what it is. But, of course, salvation is the best gift of all. Everything gets better from that point on. So if you're here tonight and you truly have not given your life to Jesus Christ who died for you, this is your night. I hope you don't leave this place without giving your heart and truly getting born again and then living for the Lord. He is the best gift giver you will ever know and ever experience. And we don't get saved to get gifts, but he is the best gift that we could receive. Amen. Living for the Lord is the best decision you could ever make on a day-to-day -day basis. Amen. He really watches our lives. Did you know that? You can't do anything that he doesn't see, that he's not aware of. You can pretend with people and, and get away with a lot, but you can't pretend with God. He sees everything. 
He wants us to live a righteous life because Jesus paid a big price for you to live righteous. Amen. Father, I thank you for these tithes and offerings of your people here tonight. And Lord, as they give it from their heart, they're given a piece of their work, of what, what values, what is valuable to them. And you see that. And Father, I pray that you honor their giving to you because it's, it's giving it to you. And Father, you see it all. You see the sacrifices. You see the, the motive of their heart is just to be a blessing and be an obedient child to you. Your word says give and it shall be given. So Father, we thank you for the blessing on these finances that come in tonight. I pray that you give them all an extra dose of faith in their giving. That is their seed, Father. And you promised it would come back uh, 10, 20, 30, 100 fold on their life. And Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to give tonight. It's good, it's good ground. The gospel's going forth. The missions are all, it's a worldwide mission, uh, international um, church. So much, is, much fruit is coming from this church and from your finances. So don't ever hesitate to push that envelope of faith. The Lord sees it. Amen. Anybody need an envelope? I think everybody asked. So the ushers can, can receive the offering for the Father tonight. And I thank you, Lord, that we're all obedient to give according to our hearts. Amen. Amen. We will be taking our missions offering later at the end of the service, just so you'll... Oh, right away. Okay. So we'll be taking it right away. So if you want to prepare for that and need another cash envelope, raise your hand. Wasn't that an encouraging testimony? I don't know about you, but I feel like crying just listening to it because, you know... God honors faith, and, and if he'll do it for Karen, he'll do it for you, and if you'll act on his word, he'll do it for you. It's not just, uh, faith is, is an equalizer, okay? You know, it's not just for one special person these things happen. It's whoever will take him at his word and, and act on it. So, you know, I also wanted to say thank you so much for your generous Christmas gift to us. I felt so humbled, and honestly, I felt very undeserving. And I know that that's just, a, it's just evidence of the love of God, because you know God loves us not because we deserved it, but just because that's who he is. So it's, it's God in you, so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. All right, well, a few things to mention here. I just want to remind you that a new foundations class will be starting soon in January, um, January 9th. So if you would like to sign up, you still have opportunity to, and the sign-up sheet is in the back. Please sign up if you plan to. That way we know how many to plan on. Also, if you are interested um, or feel prompted to be a volunteer here at CWI, there's a list here of all our service teams that you could check in with. You know what? Just check in with them. Say, hey, how are you doing? Do you need, are you spread thin? Do you, do you need any extras? It takes all, all of us. To make a service flow. And um, not one team is more important than the other. It's all a service to Jesus. It, it takes us all to work together to make these things go. So I would encourage you to check in with a service team if you're not already on one. All right, Pastor, are you ready? Okay. How many know that it's wise to keep the main thing 
the main thing, right? That is the main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. Elizabeth likes that. And so what we've been assigned to do on the earth is the Great Commission. And one of the ways that we do that is we fund missionaries all around the world in living there, living amongst the people, serving the Lord there, bringing people into the kingdom, doing the work of the kingdom, as well as we send people regularly all around the world to these various locations. And um, so in this missions offering that we're getting ready to uh, receive here in just a moment for the Lord, 100% of it goes all into the mission field. So any place that you designate it to go, all of it will go there. If you just um, don't put any designation on it, then it will go into our general um, mission fund and get dispersed from there. And so we have uh, no lack of opportunity in the world today, right? We have plenty of opportunity, of course, with uh, television and social media and telephones and all that stuff. We, we have abilities that they didn't have 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago. And so we also carry greater responsibility now. Right? For, for taking the gospel to the whole earth. So um, one of the things that before we take that offering, I wanted to uh, pray for Gene. So Gene, if you would come. Uh, Gene is getting ready to travel with uh, CRI and um, going to be on an investigative trip, right? And so uh, we're going to pray that the Lord give him the eyes to see what needs to be seen the discernment and understanding, and that this is going to be a successful mission in every sense of the word. Father, I thank you for our brother Gene. Thank you that you have put this assignment on his heart. And so, Lord, we just call every need of Gene's met, every bill paid, everything that uh, comes his way, that there's already an answer to it and in the works. I thank you for it. Father, I ask you for protection uh, for Gene and for every one of the team members, I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, with them, that you give them wisdom, that you give them understanding, that they have eyes to see, ears to hear you, and Lord, that you will be glorified. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. Of course, if you would like to be a part of that trip, you can just memo your check or, or whatever to be a part of Gene's trip and we'll know what you're talking about. All right, take a hold of that and let's pray over it. Father, we thank you for your great goodness, your faithfulness to your word, that you watch over it to perform it. And so, Father, we present this offering to you, and we just say, increase, grow, be multiplied, bring, bring the gospel into the whole world, do what you've been sent to do. I thank you, Father, that you bring it back to us wave upon wave, that you empower us to do more than we ever could before. In Jesus' name, and amen. Well, the ushers can again pass the baskets and um, envelopes. If you need an envelope, wave frantically <laughs> at somebody. They'll bring one to you. Jacob and Nicole, welcome home. I see you guys have, have come home wealthier than, than you left with a little one on your lap. Jacob has been serving in our Air Force, and so thank you for your service. <laughs> Shannon and Heather are here with us tonight. No, okay. 
So they have, uh, many of you probably know, they have a new gift of life. Amanda Grayson has arrived, and so uh, their lives are forever changed, right? Hallelujah. Yes, 